Good morning. It's so good to be with you. My name is Brian, and uh, enjoy preaching uh, through this tough question series. And didn't you love seeing the kids here? And I was thinking, that's the future of Highland Park Christian Church, and I'm okay with that. Um, I love seeing those kids up there. My daughter was so nervous this week about that, and uh, they did great. I so appreciate Jan volunteering in our children's ministry on Wednesday nights and Michelle leading that. Um, I know this last Wednesday was the biggest Wednesday night we've had uh, as far as kid participation. That was just really cool. And if you noticed, Alex was up here like, looking really sharp with the bow tie. He and I have a deal. If he wears it, I have to wear it. If I wear it, he has to wear it. And so he told me Wednesday, I'm wearing my bow tie Sunday. I was like, all right, I'm in, man. And so uh, I love that. So I have a friend uh, I grew up with whose father was a medic in the Vietnam War. And he is highly decorated um, for saving many people's lives. If you were to put me on a time machine and take me back to that conflict and put me in the middle of the jungle and tell everybody, Brian is your medic, I'm telling you people would be in trouble. If I was in that position, I mean, I would try. I would run around with Band-Aids and bandages, and I would try to drag people to safety. And if they had a broken arm, you know, I might be able to wrap it up a little bit against their chest. And I would do whatever I could. But if they had life-threatening injuries, they would be in trouble if they were dependent upon me to save them. Because the truth is, I just don't know how. I've never been trained to medically save people in that kind of a situation And I think that's how many Christians feel when it comes to saving the lost, to sharing their faith. They feel like they just don't know how. Other Christians feel very differently. They, To them, they're not walking through a jungle full of wounded bodies. They're walking through a forest on a path, and everybody's fine. You know, occasionally they pass somebody, and the person's walking, and they're fine, and they're not bleeding anywhere, or nothing seems to be broken, and... Everybody's fine, and they're looking around saying, I, I don't really have a call to save anybody because nobody on my path needs saved. And other people have, other Christians especially, have, have a different perception, and uh, they see some wounded people, but they imagine how that conversation would go. They feel like they're not good enough to save somebody else. They, they would imagine that if they went to somebody wounded with a, a leg wound and they bent down to help them, that person would sneer and look up to them and say, who do you think you are trying to help me because I know your leg has bled before? And we're like, oh, I'm sorry, and, and leave. And I, I believe that as I've been thinking about today's sermon, that Christians often fall into one of these three basic categories Uh, when it comes to not sharing our faith. You can call them reasons. If you want to be a little harsher, you can call them excuses. Call them what you may. But there's these three kind of things that I think often prevent us from sharing our faith. And so the three things, just to review real quick, are, number one, I don't see anybody who needs saved. Number two is, I'm not good enough to save anybody. And number three is, I don't know how to save someone And this amazing thing happens in Mark chapter 4. In four verses, verses 26 through 29, Jesus gives us solutions to all three reasons or excuses that we give to not sharing our faith with other people. It is an amazing text. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Mark chapter 4. 
If you have the sermon page in from your bulletin, it's going to be especially helpful today. If you did not snag one, you may want to get one on your way out because there's some stuff there that will be really helpful. My goal today is to help equip you. I want to equip you in such a way that when you leave here, you could teach this lesson to somebody else, all right? I, I, I just want to ask you to lean into this, take some notes, or really think about it, whatever helps you remember the best. But I think that what we're talking about is so important because a world needs saving. So in the first part of Mark chapter 4 is the parable of the sower. And that's not going to be our key text today. In the parable of the sower, you, you may remember, a farmer goes out and he, he scatters the seed and it grows uh, in some places where the soil is healthy, but in other places it does not because it falls on the hard path and the birds scoop it up or it fall, goes in the rocks or it goes in the thorns and the worries of life kind of choke it up. And the parable of the sower is really about the soil. It's talking about, do you have a soil? Do you have a heart that's welcome to receive the gospel, the good news? But in our text today, it's not so much about the soil as it is about the sower, the farmer, the one who's sowing the seeds. And so let's just turn to our text right there, Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read this together, verse 26 through 29. This is Jesus speaking. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So the farmer scatters seed and then he can watch it or not. But he goes away for a little while, and he comes back, and he sees where it's growing. And where it's growing, he takes care of it. He works it. That's basically what he does. And that teaches us a whole lot. So I just want to talk about those three reasons that we often give. And the first is this. I don't see anybody around me who needs saved. There's 324 million people in the United States. So pop quiz time, all right? Pop quiz. You can tell your neighbor whichever answer you think it is, how many of those 324 million in the U.S. would claim to be Christians, all right? Is it A, 25 million, B, 50 million, C, 100 million, or D, 150 million? You, you can tell your neighbor, anybody, you can, all right? The correct answer is C, 100 million. How many, did you guys get it right, anybody? That's a lot of people who claim to be Christians but George Barna, who does lots of research and survey work and does a good job of that, um, has identified that that number doesn't actually come close to reflecting how many people are living Christian lives. And so uh, in the most recent research that they've uh, released, they would identify um, what he calls uh, integrated disciples. And basically it was, do they follow kind of the core teachings of the New Testament in both their beliefs and their actions? And so it's not just I marked Christian, but I'm actually living a Christian life with Christian faith, Christian beliefs, Christian actions, all of that. And I know you still have to kind of guess with some of those numbers, but he probably gets us close. And here's what they found, that if you took a look at the whole U.S. population, only 4% of millennials are identified as integrated disciples, as really following Jesus. Only 4%, ages 18 through 29. But of the age bracket 30 to 49, Gen Xers like me, only 7% of us 
are deeply following Jesus. 50 of those ages 50 to 64, it goes to 15%. 65 and older goes to 17%. Which of those numbers most surprised you? For me, it was the last one. But all of them are depressing, aren't they? I mean, we're not hitting home runs anywhere in our culture, are we? When you look at where the church is and where we want to be and where we need to be, we're like, man, we have lots of work. Okay, pop quiz number two. How many people live in the Tulsa metro area? That includes Tulsa, Broken Arrow, Owasso, um, Sand Springs, Jinx, this whole little area. Anybody want to guess? We got 400,000, 600,000, 800,000, or 1 million. Anybody want to guess? The 1 million is right. Actually, a little bit more than 1 million. There's 1 million people that live in the Tulsa metro area. And so if you kind of run the numbers through the filter, here's what you find out. You find out that in the Tulsa metro area, so basically you could drive, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes in any direction, and that's kind of our area from right here. There's probably about 650,000 people who are not following Jesus. 650,000. It's a lot of people, and that's a really kind of conservative number. It may be a lot higher than that. And so when we look at our city, we look at our country, surely there are lots of fields where the seed needs to be scattered. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, because Jesus knew there were many fields where the seed needed to be spread so that new life could spring up. Did you notice where the farmer spreads and scatters the seed? Does he go and like put one here and then put one there and just that one? No, it's the idea of him just taking it out of his bag and going whoosh and throwing it out. Now, he doesn't just chuck it in the river, you know, that, but he just takes it and throws it where there is a field, where there is land. He takes it and he just chucks it out there all over the place to see where it might grow, because sometimes it grows in surprising places. I was weed-eating yesterday, and I still have no earthly idea how all this green stuff keeps growing in the middle of my driveway. You know, sometimes stuff surprises us where it grows. Sometimes if you've had a garden, something grows over here, and you're like, I don't even remember planting. Where did that come from? And sometimes you're like, well, I was sure it was going to go right here, but nothing grew right here, and we're surprised by that. And that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. Sometimes we're not quite sure where it's going to be. So let me just give you Jesus' simple solution. If, if you're the person feeling like, I don't know, I don't know anybody lost around me. I don't know anyone who needs saved around me. Then Jesus gives you a solution, and it's this. Find a field. Just find a field. The field might be your family. The field might be your school, your workplace, your bowling league, uh, your, your art club, book club, neighborhood, It might be somewhere that you have not gone yet. Maybe a restaurant where you just keep going back there over and over. Find a field, because if there's 650,000 people who don't know the Lord in our area, that means there's some fields around here. That if we just threw the seed somewhere, it's going to grow. And so uh, in your bulletin, if you flip your sermon page over, you're going to see this prayer strategy card. Can we put it up here? And... Uh, here's how this works, and I'm actually going to give you 60 seconds just to start on this, and then I want you to take it home and work more on it later. But if you were to think about who, where are the fields in my life, 
where there are people who don't know the Lord, you probably have a family member, maybe a close family member, maybe a grandparent, a grandchild, a cousin, uncle, aunt, who does not know the Lord. And you would write their name in the blue. So if, if Joe is a family, is a cousin member, and he doesn't know the Lord, you would write Joe up there in that blue box. And then you would think, oh, you know what? Joe has two sisters. I don't know the sisters as well, but neither of those sisters know the Lord either. And so you would write the name of the two sisters in the little circles below the blue circle. Does that make sense? So you got Joe, and then you got the people connected to him. And then the next box over is a neighbor. You know a neighbor who's not following Jesus. The next, the green one is a coworker or a friend. And if you're a student, that also might mean a, 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 a fellow student. And then that last orange or red uh, circle is FFG, and that just means far from God. It's kind of your big miscellaneous category of anybody you know who's not following the Lord. And maybe um, uh, that's somebody at some other area of your life. I'm just going to give you 60 seconds. Try to at least fill in those big four circles uh, with a name. Somebody you know who's not following the Lord. I'm going to look at my watch. This is going to be interactive time. You've got 60 seconds. Go. You're probably going to want to work some more on that later. But what you just did was to develop a prayer strategy. You just identified four fields where God may be saying, throw some, some seed out there. And, and think about those people. And you think about who are those people connected to and then the people connected to them and connected to them and people you don't even know. And you begin to think, wow, there are some fields out there. where God has placed me. Our family was at a restaurant um, about a month ago, and we had just been talking about Mark 4. And uh, I, I said, hey, when our waitress comes back, um, if there's a moment where it's not awkward and there's not somebody standing over her shoulder or whatever, um, and she doesn't look like she's just super, super hurried, I'm just going to ask her if we can pray for her. And we all said, okay, we're going to do that. And she came back, and I said, hey, we're going to pray for our food here in a couple minutes. And we just wondered, is, is there any way we can pray for you? And when I said that, it was like physically she changed in that moment. And immediately her eyes got red. And she said, yeah, yeah, actually there is. My, my grandpa just died this week. And he was living in Mexico, and my family brought him up to California where we were, my parents live and where I used to live. And we cared for him in his last days, but he passed away. And she said, my, my partner and I just moved to Tulsa two or three weeks ago, and I probably won't get to go back to the funeral, and I'm just broken about it. And 
we listen and we said, well, we're going to pray for you uh, about that. And, um, and she kind of went off and to do her work. And we did, we prayed for her before we ate our food. And later she came back around and thanked us again. And Beth, my wife, just before we left, and if anything ever encourages you to tip well, that would be it. Um, and we left a good tip, and Beth just left a note with her phone number on it and just said, hey, if, if you ever want to talk, let me know. And just want you to know that you and any of your friends are welcome to Highland Park anytime you'd ever want to come. And, and left that with her. And you know what that was? That was just kind of a random taking the seed and going, seeing if anything would grow. Sometimes you don't know if it will. It might. Or it might not. And so if, if you're thinking, man, I just don't know, then Jesus' command to you would be find a field. Find a field where you can scatter some seed. So there's a second thing that people say, Christians often say, and they'll say, well, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to grow somebody up into the Lord, to save a life, um, to turn someone's life around. And let me just give you my quick answer. Yeah, I know. Me too. I'm not good enough either. But did you catch what the farmer did? It, the text says that after he sows the seed, it says it doesn't matter whether he stays there or he goes back and takes a nap. He can go to sleep if he wants to. Because if a farmer sows the seed, it doesn't do him any good just to stand there and look at it like this, does it? You know, at night, put the flashlight on it every once in a while. No, no, yeah, maybe. That doesn't do you any good, right? You, you scatter the seed out there, go take a nap. You know why? Because you're not the one who ultimately makes it grow. Only God can make it grow. And there's this great passage in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 6 through, 6 through 9. It says this, Paul's talking. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers of God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Think back to your conversion story. Before you became a Christian, somebody planted a seed in your heart, and that soil was good enough and rich enough. At that time, your heart was open to what God wanted to do in you. And there were people who taught you and encouraged you and all of that. But who made that seed grow in your heart? It was the Lord who did that. When, when I say, hey, who saved you? You're going to say, well, Jesus saved me. You're probably not going to list somebody else. I remember uh, a time when I had the chance to kind of just scatter these seeds out there to these three high school guys. And all three of them ended up coming to a camp and getting connected to a youth group and uh, having a preacher that encouraged them and helped them. And they all three were baptized and followed Jesus and were matured and discipled and taught and all those things after that. And if you were to ask them, who saved you? They would not have said, well, Brian did or my youth minister did or uh, my preacher did. They, they would have said, Jesus saved me. All those other people got to play this beautiful little role in God's story. But it was just a role in the story. God is the one who does the saving. And if you feel like, boy, I'm not good enough. I've had too much sin in my life. I, I don't know enough. I, I, there's just too much baggage. I can't save somebody. Yeah, you can't save somebody, but God can save somebody. And he's commanded you to make 
disciples to be part of this process. So will you choose to let your inferiority complex outdo God's command? That's what we have to ask. Or will you let God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who says, go make disciples, will you let him make up for your weaknesses? God is saying, hey, I've called you to this. And don't you dare say, God, your grace isn't sufficient enough for me. Don't you dare say, well, God, you've, you've made a mistake when you told me to make disciples. Tell, I know that you were probably okay telling those other people, but it's a mistake to tell me to make disciples because you don't know my past. God said, I know. I know. I know all about your past. And, and that's why God forgives us. And it doesn't mean that we're not, you know, not concerned about sin and growing up in the Lord and maturity. No, no, no. All of that we care about. But God takes us where we are and says, I want you to make disciples. And so quit using all those things as excuses. I've forgiven you your past. And I've given you everything that you need to make disciples. There's a third reason we talk about. And it's this. You feel like you aren't, um, or you don't know how to do this. Saying, hey, hey, listen, so I, I scattered the seed out there. I, I, I went and I realized it wasn't all on me. And then I saw where new life started to be right there. Something was right below the soil, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to farm. I didn't know how to help it grow. I can't do that. You, you got to have a Bible college degree to do that. Or you, you, you had to at least be a volunteer in the church for at least a decade before you can do anything like that. Well... The farmer scatters the seed, and then he rests. And then what does the text say that he does when he comes out and sees where it's growing? It says he gets a sickle. He gets a tool. He, he finds a tool that will help him do whatever needs to happen for new life to grow. And so when somebody says, I, I want to follow Jesus, what do I do? I want to ask you, do you have a tool? Do you have something that you can pull out to help them? Know what it means to follow Jesus. And if you don't, is there anything more important in the world that you need to get than that tool to be equipped in that way? So this morning, I just want to show you one easy way um, that you can share your faith with others. And again, if you're a note taker, this is your time um, to do this. And we're going to be teaching this in various forms later on in different ways. But I just want to show you one easy way. And uh, first of all, there's different ways that you can share the gospel. There's not a right or wrong way. I've used different, I've used a bridge method. I've used different things to kind of diagram things on napkins and point people to scriptures. They're all, that's all great and good. I just want to show you one simple way that I've really fallen in love with because it's so simple. And I think that I can teach it to you in about five minutes if you'll let me try. And so what I'm going to do is just show you that if you and I were at a park, we had met and, um, and somehow it came up that you were open when I said, is it okay if I share with you the reason for my hope? And you were in that moment where you're like, yeah, I'd be glad to hear that. Or maybe we've been friends for 20 years, and you said, listen, I've never really talked to you about the Lord. It, is it okay if we just take a moment to do this? And if you've been a friend with somebody for 20 years, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, sure. Because if they were not going to say sure, they probably wouldn't have been your friend for 20 years. <laughs> okay. And, and so if, if, if I said, can I share you just a reason for my hope? And you said yes, 
here's just a way that I could teach you. And if you want to copy this down in your sermon notes, it might be helpful. But I just draw three circles, and I can't draw a thing. So all of this, you will do better than me, all right? And I don't even know if, if you're at the back, you may not be able to see that very well, but it's just three circles, one here, one here, one here. And so listen, when God designed everything, God had a perfect design for you, for this world, for everything around us. And when Adam and Eve were there in the garden, things were perfect. God had a perfect design. And so I would write those words right here, um, God's perfect design. And I would just kind of write those in that circle and just talk about how uh, we, we all sense that this is how things are supposed to be, but that's not how things are, are they? Things aren't perfect in your life. They're not perfect in this world. Yeah, of course they're not. Because what's happened is we've become broken. So I'm going to write that word broken right here. Or you could write brokenness. And we went from God's perfect design, I'm drawing an arrow, to brokenness. And you know what got us there? Sin. We chose to rebel against God and to leave God's perfect design. And we chose to leave it for brokenness. Because that's what we get with sin, right? We, we now have broken bodies and broken emotions, broken spiritual lives, broken relationships. We live on a broken planet. Things are broken. And of all the things you'll talk about, you don't have to convince people very much of this one. Because they're like, yeah, I know. My life is broken. I've got relationships that are broken. I see so much broken all around. There's so much brokenness. And you know what, how we try to get away from brokenness? Um, we try all of these things, and I might draw some squiggly lines here and, and say one of them, people have tried alcohol because they feel broken, and so they consume something that will hopefully make them forget about their brokenness. But it's like a bungee cord. It's like we think, oh, I'm going to get away from the brokenness, and we try these things. It just snaps us back even harder into more brokenness and usually other people being broken along with us. Some people have tried money. And they think, if I can just get more money and more stuff, I won't feel broken anymore. But it's like a bungee cord. We try to get away from brokenness, and it gets. And we think, if I can just have this stuff, I'll feel all right. And then it snaps us back. You know how many NFL quarterbacks have said the lowest point in their life was after they won a Super Bowl? It's kind of amazing. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, two of them that I've read about in the last decade. Like, after they won, they weren't really celebrating because they're like, eh, is that it? <laughs> and we think, man, if I can just achieve more and get more and have more stuff, it just snaps us back. And you could go on and list a gazillion different ways that we try to escape our brokenness. And you can ask people, say, do any of those things really work? You know, one way that we try to escape our brokenness is to live perfect, tidy little lives. I mean, that's a lot of what the gospel is written about. It's like, you can't on your own, get away from your brokenness, even by living a good moral life. That doesn't get you there. Having kids who are perfect kids and do everything great, some parents try that one, that doesn't get you there. It's just like a bungee cord. Everything keeps snapping us back to these replacements of how we try to feel whole and fulfilled. And so then I'm going to draw this other arrow and say, but you know what we found? There is a way out of brokenness, but there's only one way out of brokenness. It's the way... That leads to Jesus. Because Jesus came and he died and paid the price for our brokenness. And, and only Jesus can make things right. Only Jesus can heal us up the way we're supposed to be healed. And only Jesus can promise that there is a life to come in which 
things will be perfect again and more beautiful than we can ever imagine. And, and then when we come to Jesus, it's back to this perfect design and God restores us and he heals us. And, but here's what I love about this little diagram. As soon as we get back here, as soon as God has forgiven us and given up the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know what God does for us? He sends us right back to the broken. Because once we get here, we aren't just supposed to stay here by ourselves in a little bubble the rest of our lives. God says, you get right back here to the broken and you bring them to me. You bring them to me. You go back and you get more people to follow Jesus and for me to heal them and forgive them. And then you send them out into the broken too. And that's just a cycle that goes and goes. Because otherwise we become a Christian little bubble. And God says, no, no, no. And so if I was talking to you, I would say, so where do you think you are? Which circle? He said, well, I'm probably on that broken circle. And I'd say, can I tell you about what it means to go from broken to Jesus? And if you said, yeah, I said, let's, let's just turn to Acts 2.38, because that's how the people felt when Peter was first preaching the first sermon really after Jesus. And, and Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about belief and uh, repentance and baptism and uh, these beautiful steps, pictures that God says, this is what it means. This is how you say yes to Jesus and for him to heal your life. What do you think about this? Could you do this? Here's the crazy thing. When I first heard this, I heard it explained one time. I drew it one time. And the next week I actually used it at a, having lunch with a buddy of mine I play basketball with. It's pretty cool. Like that's not a whole lot of training. And um, we want to keep kind of teaching you this because we just want you to have a tool. And by the way, if, if you feel like, and I realize I, I probably need a little bit more practice than this. On Saturday, October 7th, this is what we're doing. We're going to teach you and equip you how to share your faith. And so that there's some practice. And once it's really one of those things that, I mean, you can get it here, but the way that you really get it is to actually do it and to actually share it with others. And so if the problem is that you don't know how to share your faith, Jesus' solution is get a tool, get the sickle, go out and begin working. When we read the New Testament, think about the book of Acts, and you can go through the book of Acts and find example after example. But do you remember what the early Christians did? They went out and they went to a new village. And what did they do at that new village? whoosh, threw the seed all over the place. And if the people rejected it and said, forget it, what did they do? They left and they went to a different village. They didn't stay there. They're like, okay, well, bummer. You know, Jesus said, knock the, knock the dirt off your sandals and go somewhere else. But if they went to a village and they threw the seed out there and they saw signs of growth where God was doing work, what did they do? They stayed. Why? Because they had to get out the sickle. They had to begin working. They had to begin teaching. What is the Great Commission? The Great Commission, the big overall command is to make disciples. But Jesus says, go, make disciples as you're going, and then baptizing, and then teaching. So what does that look like? You're going, and you're just taking the seed. You're throwing it out there. 
And wherever God grows it, then people are being baptized, and then you're staying there and you're teaching them. And you're helping them learn to teach themselves until there's a little church planted, and then you go somewhere else. That's all of the book of Acts. And we see this time and time again throughout the New Testament and throughout the Gospels. And so there's three problems or excuses or reasons or whatever. Let's just review them real quick again because I really want this to kind of find a place in your heart. If you're the person who feels like, I just don't know anybody who needs saved, then Jesus' command to you is, go find a field. Find a field and just start scattering seed. And if you're the person who feels like, I'm not, I'm not good enough to make disciples, then Jesus' words to you are, well, then just go take a nap. <laughs> but, but scatter the seed first, and don't worry about it. It's not all on you. It's not all your responsibility. So, so that's fine. That's okay. You, you scatter the seed, and then you go rest, because it's God who does this. And God's grace is sufficient for you, and he did not make a mistake when he commanded you to go and make disciples. And if you're the person who feels like, yeah, okay, I see the wounded, I see the bleeding, I just don't know how to help anybody, then Jesus' words to you are, get equipped, get equipped, get a tool, get a medicine kit, do what you need to do. And that's where we get trained, and hopefully this has helped you a little bit. Uh, But we keep getting trained about how can I share my faith. And by the way, if you're a person who's here, because I'm not so naive to think that everyone here on any given Sunday has come full circle. Um, There's people here at different circles. And I know we have some people here who are broken. And when I was doing this little pretend dialogue with you, you were thinking, well, this is me right here. And you're thinking of the things that you've tried to get away from your brokenness and how it always snaps you back into that brokenness. And I have good news for you is that God knows that too and that he sent his son Jesus for you too and that he, he cares about you. He knows your past and he knows that he created you and he wants to draw you back to him. And we would love to help you make this journey from brokenness to Jesus. We would love to do that. And if we can do that in any way, uh, please, even during this next song, if you would like to just come forward, it's kind of a bold move and just come forward and say, I'm ready uh, to go from brokenness to Jesus. We'll have um, some folks up front that would love to pray with you and talk with you. If you want to just mark on your card um, that you want to pray and study with somebody later, that's fine too. We'd love to study and pray with you. Um, later on in the week, if that's uh, more helpful for you. If you would, would you stand and let's just pray. God, we, we thank you that you saw our brokenness and you did not just get angry and leave us to stay there, but you sent your son Jesus out of your great love to take us from brokenness to grace and from pain and guilt to grace and love and joy and hope. Lord, thank you that you've done that for us. And I pray that uh, you will just raise up a, a whole multitude of workers in the harvest from right in this room. And that for people who are still broken, that they will come to you even today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.